Welcome to Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. From controlling temperature and humidity in buildings and food plants to restoring critical documents like x-rays and rare books, we're here to explore the challenges and solutions for interior climate management and remediation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along to some broader facilities management thought leadership from the Polygon team. As we explore today's topic, make sure that you're all tapped in and plugged into all of Polygon's previous thought leadership, as well as making sure you're getting notified on future discussions. To do so, make sure that you're subscribing to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Again, ideal conditions. And make sure that you are heading to our website, polygongroup.com. Again, polygongroup.com for more thought leadership, including episodes of the podcast, but also articles, videos, blogs, and more. So team, on today's episode of the show, we're going to be pointing our focus to indoor air quality in the wake of a pandemic. You almost couldn't come up with a scenario that more acutely accelerated the awareness and the focus around indoor air quality than something like an airborne pathogen disrupting our entire day-to-day lives. And it's now high-level concern for policymakers and insurance companies. And then at a more granular level, it's also a day-to-day concern for building owners and end users that interact in these workplaces or big box retail stores, residential complexes, government buildings, and more. And so the big question we want to pose today is what should all of these parties, especially our audience of commercial, industrial, and residential contractors, what should they do to maneuver this focus on indoor air quality? What investments make the most sense? What needs are truly needs? And how should this inform larger strategies for safe facilities management? For insights today, I'm pleased to welcome our guest, Mr. Garrett Freeman. He's National Sales Manager with Polygon. Garrett, great to have you on. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Yeah, real pleasure getting to source your insights today and get your perspective here on, uh, you know, the push towards indoor air quality again. uh, And not that this hadn't been something that facility managers had considered as part of their larger strategy. But if we are being honest, the pandemic did accelerate the focus and did make it a priority. And now we're in a, you know, at least somewhat post-COVID environment where uh, indoor air quality is going to persist as a metric for success in facilities management. So we wanted to get the lowdown from you. Uh, real quick, before we jump in, can you give us a quick breakdown of your experience in this field uh, and just give that context for our audience? Yeah, well, I, I think that you, in your intro, you hit it on the head. You hit the nail on the head uh, perfectly. It's Indoor air quality has absolutely been something uh, that has been on folks' radar uh, for a number of years now, uh, Polygon as an organization included, but it's in the last few years uh, with COVID and this global pandemic that we're going through that it has fast become, you know, top of mind on on everybody's radar. Uh, there's a number of aspects uh, to indoor air quality, and and one of the reasons why. I have personally been involved with indoor air quality for so long, and Polygon as a company uh, has been 
involved with indoor air quality uh, for as long as we have has a lot to do with the fact that we are a climate control company. And one of the crucial elements to indoor air quality is moisture control. So we have Polygon and myself have found ourselves on the right side of this, uh, this equation, but it really for probably the past 20 years has becoming has been becoming more and more a, a topic of concern and something that consumers, contractors, building owners, occupants of buildings are becoming more and more concerned about. Yeah, and I, I think rightfully so, right? I mean, an airborne pathogen is going to raise awareness and it is going to put focus on indoor air quality. Uh, but even without something like a pandemic, the quality of air inside a building is critically important. Uh, there's plenty of studies out there that show that people are more indoors now than ever before, whether that is spending more time at home or just spending your eight hour workday in a literal facility all the time. I mean, that starts to add up. And if air, uh, excuse me, if indoor air quality isn't prioritized, that's a lot of time where any given person can be, you know, subject to, uh, you know, a misdirected strategy, pollutants, et cetera, et cetera, right? So let's break that down a little more concretely, especially now that we're in a place where hybridized work and remote work is becoming a norm and standard in a lot of industries. Uh, I, I slightly mentioned it here, but can you add a little more context on just how much time folks are spending indoors nowadays and what are the risks to our health that uh, you know air quality can create when we compare outdoor air quality versus indoor air quality generally or on average? So it's a, a really important topic and you, uh, again, you, you, you were right on. We, we're fast becoming, and this has been, you know, we've been headed down this path for a number of years, but we're fast becoming and inside society, as much as 90% of our time is spent indoors, you can find a number of studies that, that talk about how frequently in, uh, we are indoors and we are more and more indoors as the years progress. The problem is that that is coupled at the exact same time with the fact that indoors, you can have an interior climate that is two to five times more polluted than outdoors. There's a number of reasons why that is the case, but everything is kind of culminating in a situation where whether or not we were going to be paying attention to indoor air quality to the extent that we are as a result of this global pandemic, to your point, it was something that we needed to start paying attention to years ago. And in a way, it's really good that something like COVID, uh, for all of the bad that it has done, absolutely, uh, it has also helped us to pay attention to things that are critically important. Uh, there is no getting around the fact that we are indoors more frequently and the way that we're building buildings. I don't even want to say these days, it's really been going on for the past 20 years, since the late 90s, early 2000s, since there was a consolidation of building codes, uh, since uh, asbestos and mold became a hot topic. Uh, there is a lot of concentration on how we're building buildings, our processes are changing, perpetuating our indoor air quality issues. And we now are in a spot where we are indoors all the time and highly susceptible to, you know, the issues that are 
coming up. And I guess I'll point this out, Daniel, you know, we talk about COVID-19 and a global pandemic, airborne pathogens, that is the end of the spectrum. But this indoor air quality issue is also impacting us at a much lesser uh, devastating toll. It's not a global impact. It's, it's, increasing the amount of allergies and asthma our children in schools are, are, are coming up against. Allergies and asthma is now one of the fastest growing absenteeism uh, factors in schools and health and well-being, and it has everything to do with indoor air quality. Uh, I, I think that each one of us in our individual lives is starting to recognize how much more frequently uh, our loved ones, our family, our friends are getting sick in the workplace, uh, bringing that home, getting uh, the family sick. The cycle just keeps going. So there's a, a huge range of indoor air quality issues. Some are, are very large and some are you know not as in your face. All of them are things that we need to be dealing with. And I read uh, an interesting article recently that was talking about the fact that uh, 10 years ago, people didn't treat something like indoor air quality as a human right, something that, that we should expect when we walk into a building, when we walk into a, a restaurant, a government building, as you were saying, a movie theater. There is a paradigm shift that is, that is occurring and it's definitely been perpetuated by COVID, but the demand that consumers, uh, end users, owners are starting to have with respect to the air that they breathe, breathe when they walk indoors, it's remarkable, you know, the uptick and, and how people are starting to feel like that is something that they should expect when they walk into these buildings. That, that's all happening in the last year or two. Now, how does indoor air quality actually affect people's health and productivity in both the short and the long term? Because you just kind of already brought it up here, right? The impact of indoor air quality is kind of a, a slow one, long, constant exposure to the same things that aren't mitigated or prioritized can create issues. And maybe that's hard for not only, um, you know, let's say a, a consumer or an employee to feel and to really catch before it's too late, but maybe also diminishes the motivation to prioritize it as a point of, um, you know, at the facility's priority, right? So what are the effects of, you know, even the mildest version of bad indoor air quality on end users or on building owners uh, and, and lay out the both short and long-term impacts? Well, that's just it. And, and I, I think that that is what is becoming so uh, recognized these days is, is how it is uh, a scale. And it's not just severe long-term effects like cancer that is, is caused by radon. Uh, it is common colds. It is the occurrence of allergies. It is uh, runny nose, uh, watery eyes. Uh, lethargy, a lack of production. There's a number of studies that are being put out now. There's entire organizations like the Well Organization that is centered around the, the management and the improvement of indoor air quality and its impact on the health and well-being of occupants, the production of the occupants in those buildings. And, and 
in a way, I think that that's fantastic. I, you, you can't turn on your news, uh, you know, a local news channel anymore without seeing somebody like Jennifer Lopez or Wolfgang Pup talking about how when you walk into a building, you should expect clean air because clean air is, you know, so critical to anything, whether it is you having cold symptoms and not being as productive at work at its, you know, lesser forms, all the way to long-term exacerbated issues like asthma, allergies, chronic illness, uh, things that are even longer term and, and obviously considerably more detrimental like cancer. Uh, there's a huge spectrum of uh, effects related to indoor air quality. And we're, we're just now at a point where consumers, end users, are starting to recognize that they should have uh, a right when they walk into these interior spaces that it is going to be healthy. It's not going to be detrimental to their health. It may, in fact, actually help them thrive and be a more functioning member of society. Uh, there's, there's a number of things that are happening in the industry right now that are positive in terms of people's awareness to the problem. Let's uh, tie some of those uh, you know, main points together, right? Let's see what the domino effect is here then. How does that raised awareness directly intersect with the workloads and strategies of facility managers now that we've gotten two years of indoor air quality pressure and placing it as a priority in strategies? Uh, you know, where does that tack on to or influence the broader strategy around uh, putting together a, a safe and efficient strategy for a quality facility uh, and just the day-to-day -day upkeep of said strategy? Well, that's a really good question. I, I think that no matter what industry you're in, the last one or two years, everybody has been scrambling, trying to figure out you know, what this whole post-pandemic situation looks like, whether it is facility uh, or building managers trying to figure out how to provide a safe and work and uh, safe work environment uh, to an occupied building, whether it is a general contractor that is refining their building practices to improve indoor air quality during construction, uh, standards and specification development that is happening to ensure that during uh, during construction or post occupancy XYZ criteria is being met. Uh, there's there's a number of things that are starting to filter into how we will navigate this whole IAQ thing. But this really is a perfect segue into a, a conversation about how IAQ and IOT are going to be very fantastic partners. And what I mean by that is that in prepping for this conversation, Daniel, I was looking at some, some different material and I was reading through a moisture management plan that a contractor built out. This was almost a decade ago. And they were talking about the fact that they were building out this moisture management plan because dealing with moisture and moisture management during the construction process was actually going to be easier to deal with than trying to monitor and manage the conditions inside of the space. So they were preemptively going to deal with moisture and IAQ issues because you know, monitoring and making sure that we are providing a safe space was going to be too challenging. And in the last two years, to answer your question more directly, I, I think what is 
is grabbing a hold of this whole remote monitoring industry is the implementation of IoT and an end user, an owner, a building occupant's ability to be able to walk into a confined space or an enclosed space and get a sense of what that air looks like, how it's bad, why it might be bad, and then most importantly, what can be done to improve it. And that is the, the implementation of that technology, IoT, into the remote monitoring space is where I think you're going to see a lot of facility managers and building managers uh, start to pivot so that they can be providing data and awareness to the occupants of buildings. And that really is what is going to drive a, a lot of change. If I were to step back and answer your question in a more broader sense, I would say that in the last you know year or two, there's absolutely been movement with air cleaning and purification technology, the way that facility and, and building owners and managers are configuring spaces, the way that we're starting to uh, you know provide uh, you know additional ventilation uh, and cleaning of that air inside spaces. All of that is happening, but an educated consumer base, which is what this IoT and remote monitoring uh, aspect of the equation will provide, uh, that is what is going to force the most amount of change, in my opinion. So let's get into more of the nitty gritty details here of how to even begin to assess the quality of your indoor air and uh, you know, how to take the various metrics that do measure that quality and strategize around them. So let's start here. When it comes to indoor air quality, who are the experts that are evaluating each building's life cycle and impact? What are some of their areas of expertise and how is that informing um, you know, the, the strategies to maintain quality indoor air? Well, I, I think in a way that's a difficult question to answer. I think that that entire uh, group is shifting right now. You know, back in the day, I, I don't think that there were many people that would raise their hand and say that it was my responsibility to own indoor air quality. And that is what is changing markedly, you know, in the last uh, year or two. I think that there are a number of other, there's a number of folks involved in the equation, stakeholders involved in the equation that are raising their hand now and starting to recognize that it is the ownership is on them. Uh, I say it's a difficult question to answer. In general, I would say that it's everybody's responsibility. It's fast becoming everybody's responsibility. There's so many people in this world that if we're not taking ownership and walking in, you know, co cognizantly walking into a building and thinking about the air that we're breathing just the same as we would the water that we're drinking when we try to fill up our water bottle at the uh, at the tap or the, the faucet, it's going to fall on deaf ears. But I think owners of these buildings need to have onus and be paying attention to the fact that their buildings are being built in the, you know, the, the most prudent way. I think that the contractors that are building the buildings for the owners have uh, a responsibility and uh, an amount of due diligence that they need to be doing to provide the best product. Uh, companies like Polygon, folks like myself, need to be educating the marketplace to explain that there are tools, there are uh, things that you can use as a consumer, as an uh, end user that will allow you a better product. 
Uh, so I, I really think that it's everybody's responsibility. But I would say, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll segue into your answer by telling you that when I first started started in this industry over 20 years ago. I remember there being a joke in the industry that asbestos litigators ran out of things to do, so they became mold litigators. Now, whether you believe that or not, in the last 20 years, the idea of there being a responsible party that is looking at the interior or, you know, the, the inside air quality from, uh, you know, a health and well-being standpoint, that that is just in the last 20 years starting to evolve and become what it is today. With that feedback in mind, there's two camps to begin strategies. There's the proactive approach to maybe rethinking infrastructure or planning out, you know, as we build new buildings from scratch, how can we prioritize indoor air quality? There's that, right? Then there's also the reactive approach, which is a little more, let's mitigate the factors that are already in place. Let's invest in maybe some new technologies, uh, new best practices to uh, maximize the quality of the air flowing indoors without needing to gut everything and start over. Uh, how do you recommend that facilities managers and other professionals in this space weigh strategies to improve current infrastructure, right, uh, compared to investing in completely new infrastructure or, um, you know, I guess maybe even taking some of the loss of saying, well, there's only so much we can do with this existing building for future development. Let's do X, Y, and Z, right? How, how should these professionals weigh these two hefty strategies that require different resources and uh, different investments? So I, I think people are going to like and, and dislike this answer because it is, it, it, it's pretty simple, but the answer is holistically, there is not a silver bullet. Uh, there, there are a number of factors that affect indoor air quality. Uh, and there are a number of periods throughout a building's life cycle where you need to be paying attention to indoor air quality. So it's not during the, you know, design and planning phase alone that you should be thinking about indoor air quality. You should also be thinking about it post-occupancy. I think that what has happened as a result of uh, the, the pandemic, and this is, this is what I was pointing out a, a bit ago, we're actually racing towards a really good spot, which is that this awareness, this post-pandemic awareness is helping people to understand that at every point in a building's life cycle, we should be thinking about indoor air quality. Whether you are a tradesman uh, that is putting uh, time into that building during the construction, uh, or you are somebody that will own that building long-term, or you will occupy that space as a tenant or a, uh, a patron, it impacts everybody. Everybody's a part of the equation. And whether you're bringing in a new product 20 years after a building has been built, a new flooring product, new cabinetry, uh, or you are just putting in drywall for the first time in a new construction, there is an, an element of IAQ that should be being paid attention to because it will impact us now and down the road. 
the person that is putting in that drywall, that flooring, that building material, the person that will sit next to that building material post-occupancy for 15 years, all of us, each one of us is impacted by what's happening. And I think that it's important and uh, comforting to know that we are all a part of the solution. Speaking of solutions, let's intersect some cutting edge technology. I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between indoor air quality and IoT devices, sensors, workflows, data, et cetera. Really the whole IoT ecosystem. Uh, IoT isn't new. You know, if there's anyone out there that's unfamiliar, Internet of Things, right? We have had connected devices at a personal scale for years now. And they're becoming mainstays in commercial settings as well, whether we're talking manufacturing, work floors, or a corporate office building. But how long would you say IoT has been supporting and monitoring indoor air quality? Not just, you know, at all, but really at scale, right, as a focus part of a larger IoT deployment in a facility? Uh, and did the last two years of a pandemic accelerate or change this connection between uh, the two worlds? It's it's a really good question. Uh, this is something that has been slapping us as an organization, slapping us in the face for a bit now. And and what I mean by that is that uh, twenty years ago uh, is when we released our first remote monitoring device, and it was something that was used primarily in the industrial and commercial applications, and its sole design. Our product is called Exact Air. Exact Air's sole design was to communicate what the relative humidity and temperature in an enclosed space was back to an end user. And at that point, relative humidity and temperature were what we were paying attention to, but it wasn't an indoor air quality thing. It, it was, but it was not what we were, it, it wasn't the intended design. We were managing moisture to prevent corrosion on an interior steel substrate. And 20 years ago, it was the exact same concept as it is today, which is that you're remotely monitoring conditions and providing that data for some purpose. The difference is that in the last two years, really, IoT has enabled remote monitoring capabilities in our work environment, the industrial, the commercial workspace, more so than ever before. And, and you mentioned that IoT has been being integrated into our personal lives for the last few years. And, and that's, that's a, that's a, that couldn't be a more true statement. But what I am finding is that a lot of us, myself included, are having a difficult time realizing that the same IoT technology that has infiltrated my personal life to the point where I can now click a button on my cell phone and let the UPS driver into my house to drop a package off and then video record the whole thing and then lock the door from my phone. That same technology is providing awesome power to things like remote monitoring capabilities. And that is where we're at now is this IOT technology is enabling things that we, you know, we, we weren't thinking about 20 years ago when we were trying to monitor dew point in a steel water storage tank. 
So I, I would say that, yes, IoT has, uh, and in, in the last two years in particular, has has brought us way further than we ever would have thought that we wanted to, to get to. But it's also really exciting because it is going to produce an end result for all of us as consumers that spend 90% of our time indoors. It's going to create a healthier environment for us, which is why we should all be embracing it and uh you know, singing it from the rooftops, so to speak. So what would be your recommendations then pulling from uh, Polygon's experience of helping deploy some of these strategies? And if you have any specific examples that you can reference, feel free to intersect them here. But how should IoT technology be properly utilized to improve air quality? And as an addendum to that, IoT technology is improving all the time. So as it grows, where would you like to see it grow to further support indoor air quality uh, strategies? I, I think that what the, the shift that is going to need to take place now is I, I believe that in the last few years, like I just mentioned, IoT has enabled remote monitoring, the capabilities, the features and benefits that, that remote monitoring can provide the end user. That, that's all fantastic. But one of the things that I think that the industry and and folks will need to reconcile with is that having data, having data about indoor air quality is actually a good thing. I'm I'm starting to see now that it's becoming much more a part of our everyday conversation. I'm starting to hear folks talk about the fact that, well, now that I know there's a problem, I know that there's a problem. And the argument that I would make is that knowing that you have a problem is actually a much better position to be in than not knowing you have a problem because every day we're getting more and more in trouble. We're creating more problems for ourselves because we're not dealing with something right now the way that we should. And I think that uh, if anything, the, the, the IOT the implementation of IoT into the remote monitoring space will be a very good thing that people should embrace and want to know about so that they can impact. I mentioned a bit ago that indoor air quality is uh, a juggernaut. There's a lot to it, but there are some very fundamental concepts that make things, that, that make the whole uh, conversation about IAQ a lot more simple. We could get lost in days and days of conversations about different types of gases and VOCs and radon and all of the, the catchy words that you hear these days as it relates to IOQ, but it's really about ventilation and understanding that we have created buildings. Buildings these days are tighter they are designed to not bring air into the building. They're, they're a tighter building envelope. And there is zero possibility of us preventing airborne contaminants from getting into a space. So the problem is there in some form or fashion, whether it's a small problem, big problem, it is going to become more and more difficult to prevent the problem from occurring in the first place. So it's about knowing that there is a problem and then having the appropriate steps in place to remediate the issue once it's there. And that is relatively simple when you talk about 
providing additional treated air into a space to increase ventilation so that you don't have that two to five times more polluted environment indoors than outdoors. Now, of course, we want to take the time to intersect Polygon more specifically in the conversation here. Uh, I want to pull from tactics for how Polygon uses IoT. For the past two decades, you guys have been using technology like Exact Air, for example, that monitors environmental conditions inside buildings to help strategize and give some guidance on maintaining proper indoor air quality. Uh, can you break down your use of that technology and other investments that Polygon has made uh, and connect the dots with the bigger picture of how that informs a, a more holistic strategy for indoor air quality that Polygon centers in their work? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a really uh, complicated concept and I'll make it very simple. Uh, Polygon has been in the business of moisture management. That's That's been our predominant, predominant form of climate control uh, for as long as we've been in business is moisture management. We uh, uh, have forever uh, centered ourselves around uh, desiccant dehumidification and moisture management strategies. As it turns out, one of the uh, you know key contributors to indoor air quality issues is moisture. So as much as we have always ever been focused on moisture management and our remote monitoring capabilities were centered around the identification of moisture in an enclosed space, Polygon is also a climate control company. We don't just supply desiccant dehumidification. We have every form of humidification, heating, cooling, uh, you know, every aspect of climate. In the last few years, IoT has enabled our remote monitoring capabilities to extend to more than just the identification and addressing of moisture management issues. It now involves things like VOC, particulate. Uh, for a while, it was silica dust. Uh, at one point, it was COVID. At another point, it is going to be some other aspect that is no longer, you know, exclusively moisture. It is any of the anything that could be in the air that can be sensed through a remote monitoring uh, platform, but then also treated or conditioned depending on what you're trying to do uh, in that particular environment. So for Polygon. To answer your question, it was really just kind of a shift in focus and uh, extension of our existing capabilities. Another piece of tech I want to highlight um, that Polygon engineers use is temporary climate control solutions. Can you, you know, instead of me pontificating on the effect, can you give us a breakdown here of what this kind of technology is capable of in the grander scheme of indoor air quality uh, mitigation and control strategies, uh, how it's being utilized in the industry today, and why Polygon centers this as an important part of the IAQ strategy. I would love to say that, you know, it's been our strategy all along, but, but quite frankly, some of where we're at is as a result of us just being in the right spot like I was saying, you know, shifting our focus to, to more than just moisture management as the, the industry uh, has 
shifted. But I, I would say that, uh, and, and I mentioned this a bit ago, one of the major contributors to indoor air quality issues is moisture and uh, what ultimately can result from moisture, which is microbial growth. Uh, and that and how that impacts indoor air quality. So as it relates to, you know, Polygon and, and firms like Polygon, having been in the industry for a number of years, providing, you know, mechanisms to remediate moisture during a process, whether it is construction, whether it is food processing, that is something that we have been doing for a number of years. It's just that we're also starting to talk about the fact that that moisture that is already in the building causing you whatever problem it is that originally had you bring Polygon or a firm like Polygon onto your site, it's not just a moisture issue that is delaying construction schedules. It's also a factor for, for deteriorating indoor air quality. So it's it's really kind of a, a situation where one thing leads to another. I would say though, in general, what you, you know, any amount of research talking about indoor air quality, uh, you will, you'll find quite a bit of information talking about any of the costs associated with having to treat air that you are bringing into a building so that you can increase ventilation, there are a lot of costs associated with that. So in general, having the right plan in place, bringing in the, the right amount of air, making sure that that air is treated appropriately, and then making sure that you have a system in place to manage and monitor that you are providing the right climate and indoor air quality, uh, that's the holistic approach that I was mentioning a bit ago. It, it really is uh, all of those things in concert that will provide the best product. Now let's step back for a second and look at the industry at a higher level to better gauge what comes next in uh, new standards for indoor air quality. Recently, the ICC passed two International Well Building Institute uh, supported proposals. And the whole point of said proposals was to improve indoor air quality with plans of implementing them in the 2024 I-Codes. Uh, so that's on the horizon. Uh, can you uh, give us a little more context on these proposals, why they're important, and how they signal some coming changes to, again, the standards and the uh, sort of base level that's expected for commercial, industrial, or residential indoor air quality? Yeah, th those two standards that you mentioned are really perfect illustrations of what we have been talking about. Uh, this this post-pandemic awareness that people have uh, is illustrated in those standards, uh, you know, primarily the MERV 13, uh, which is, you know, ha has everything to do with Improving indoor air quality, the, the the level of filtration that a building will need to have so that it can capture particulate down to a particular size, and that size is associated with, you know, smaller contaminants that are causing problems like pandemics, you know, global pandemics, uh, you know, those those types of things. So whether it is the 
implementation of standards that you're starting to see. And before these indoor air quality standards, there have been uh, other movements, whether it was LEED uh, talking about how to create a, a moisture management plan, how to protect uh, stored building materials, building flush out. Uh, you are hearing a lot more conversation about uh, making sure that you keep equilibrium relative humidity below 60% during the construction process to prevent against microbial growth during the construction process. All of these things are awareness to a problem. And it's stuff that we weren't talking about as much five years ago, which is why I'm saying that, you know, the this pandemic in certain ways has helped bring a level of awareness that was needing to, to be had by consumers and, and end users already, but it's, it's definitely promoted it faster than it probably would have happened otherwise. And other than those, are there any other standards, whether official or uh, just a more passive standard you see the industry adopting now that will continue to influence indoor air quality strategies moving forward? Absolutely. I think that you will continue seeing tighter and more language regarding indoor air quality. I think that, uh, and this is my opinion, but I, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I, I mentioned the industry using well-known celebrities like Wolfgang Puck and, and Jennifer Lopez. I think that you're going to to get to a point where when you're walking into a building, you're seeing ratings of a building's air quality, A, B, C, D, you know, however they want to break it down, much the same as you would food quality when you walk into a restaurant. So I think that you're going to see a proliferation of those types of end user consumer manifestations. But I also think that you're going to start, you're already starting to see a number of other technologies that are incorporated into permanent HVAC systems, uh, temporary HVAC gear that would be used during the, the construction process, things like UV, things like needlepoint bipolar ionization. So there's a number of technologies that are being explored to address the problem, not just technology that has been designed to monitor and sense that there is an uh, there is an issue. So I think that you'll see a proliferation of standards, technologies, construction practices that change or improve, tighten up uh, in order holistically to get our hands around this whole IAQ situation. So then lastly here, as we wrap up our conversation, with these new standards in mind, whether official or uh, just kind of more passively standardized amongst professionals in the industry, and with the context we laid out earlier of um, advancements to IoT technology, market motivators that are continuing to refocus and place emphasis and priority on indoor air quality, how should facility managers strategize around this whole mix of market motivators? Again, tech solutions, new standards, um, general expectations from end users. Uh, how should they strategize around this mix to meet the needed standard for indoor air quality that is being set today and to come? I think the answer is to get engaged right right now with where things are at, the awareness, the the, the implementation of technologies that, that are coming out. There's 
there is a lot happening. There's a lot, there are a lot of people that are learning a lot about indoor air quality right now. And the more that you can be reading up on, the more that you can be paying attention to the developments in the industry as it relates to indoor air quality and all of the tools that you have from a monitoring standpoint to a remediation standpoint, understanding what tools you have available to you and knowing who to talk to about it and getting engaged, whether it's social media or groups, so that you're informed. It is, it is the next hot topic and it is how we will stay in business when we're confronted with things like a COVID-19 down the road. So the sooner we get our hands around these types of things, the better off we're going to be. So stay engaged is, is my answer to you from a strategy and tactics standpoint. And I think that's the perfect advice because that engagement opens up the listening ears and it keeps facility professionals uh, looking at what they can be doing reactively and in the moment to sort of mitigate any you know, emergency level problems or even more casually just continue to retrofit existing processes and uh, literal building design to maximize indoor air quality. But it also provides insights for how you can start to set yourself up for down the road, avoiding uh, these challenges in the first place and building out new structures, new, um, you know, new floor plans, or even just new strategies that, uh, you know, create a positive feedback loop where, you know, you, you lean in the right way proactively, then you have less risk, which means you can put more energy to being proactive, which means you have less risk. Boom, 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 right? The endless positive cycle is something we want to see. So I think that's great advice here to wrap things up. So thank you again, Garrett, for your perspective today, helping us get a better sense for where indoor air quality is at as sort of a, a large uh, industry conversation, but also more granularly as actionable strategy and standards that are changing as we speak. So again, for our audience, we've been chatting with Garrett Freeman, National Sales Manager here with Polygon. Uh, Garrett, if folks want to find out more about some of your work or they want to get in touch with Polygon, how can they do so? They can do so by reaching out to us at polygongroup.us uh, or visiting us on any of our social media uh, addresses. Love it. Easy enough. All right, Garrett, thank you again for your time. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want to tap into some previous conversations or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes of the show, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure that you're heading to our website, polygongroup.com. Again, polygongroup.com for more. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Ideal Conditions.